don't make assumptions that they can't do something, but when you learn that they can't do something, then make the accommodation. You're listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast that supports parents of children with disabilities by sharing the stories of individuals who have grown up with disabilities and the organizations available to help parents along the way. Stay connected with us by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment if you want to join in on the conversation. Are you a parent of a child with autism or another intellectual or developmental disability? Do you know what resources are in your community and available to help support your child? In today's episode, Tonya is speaking with Jen. Jennifer Faltzgraf, the Executive Director of the Arc of the Triangle in Raleigh, North Carolina, about the types of services they offer individuals with autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, and other intellectual and developmental disability. Jennifer's son has cerebral palsy, and she talks about some of her experiences as a parent of a child with cerebral palsy and how that led her to become involved with her local Arc chapter. Here's Tonya's interview with Jennifer. Our guest today is Jennifer Faltzgraf. Jennifer is the executive director of the Arc of the Triangle in Chapel Hill or Raleigh? I'm based out of the Raleigh office, but we have offices in Raleigh and Chapel Hill. Okay. I knew, I knew I'd seen both addresses on your business card. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are Arc offices all across the U.S. And on the waterprairie.com resource page, we're going to be listing the link for the state offices. So if you're listening from another state, feel free to check out that resource and get connected with the ARC in your community. But for today, we're going to be focusing on specifically the ARC of the Triangle and the services that they offer. So Jennifer, welcome to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Thank you for having me. And um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm originally from New Jersey. I moved to North Carolina in 1991. My husband, Jim, actually grew up in Chapel Hill. Um, and we met um, at a pool hall in Cary, North Carolina, and we've been in Raleigh ever since. Um, we have two kids. Uh, my daughter, Madeline, is graduating from NC State in less than two months. I'm still processing that. Congratulations. Um, yes, and we're really proud because she's decided to pursue a career in mental health counseling. Oh, wow. Um, throughout her brother's life, which we'll talk about him in a minute, she's always wanted to do something to give back. And so this is what she's landed on. And I, I think that's terrific. So then there's Ethan. Um, Ethan is 18 now in my mind. He's still three. Um, Ethan has tetraplegic cerebral palsy. Um, so, you know, he's not only my beautiful boy, uh, but also the reason why we're on this crazy ride. Ethan uses a wheelchair for mobility. He's visually impaired. And he's nonverbal for the most part. He has a receptive language, um, so he's able to communicate yes and no to us. Um, you know, and and when we ask him questions and we talk to him, we basically try to phrase, you know, to find out what he wants or needs with a yes or no question. Okay. Um, and so it, it it it's working well in school, for the most part. Um, but the fact that he's visually impaired makes it hard, um, because he were you know processes everything. Um, auditory, but he also can't use his hands. So Braille's not an option. Right. Um, you know, grabbing things and feeling things out. So it's 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 complicated. Um, but in a lot of ways, he's also a typical stinky teenager. Uh, he has a funny sense of humor and he can get under my skin in ways as parents know, only your children can. Um, loves music. He loves, we love Disney movies in our house. He, we listen, he listens to Disney musics. Uh, music and movies all the time. Um, we read, we go for walks. He is not interested in our family dog at all. Um, 
you know, but he's, he's, he's Ethan. And like all children, like all parents of children with special needs, we have our good days and we have our bad days. Um, Ethan's life has been filled with doctor's appointments since his stay at the NICU, therapy sessions, IEP meetings. Um, and so I get it. So I remember, you know, it felt like it wasn't that long ago that I was just trying to learn to navigate the system and figure out all of the things um, that he needs, right? You don't know what you don't know. Right. And so when Ethan was born, I didn't know anything. I also didn't know what level his CP would be, right? We were given this diagnosis that scared the bejesus out of me. And I literally, in the neurologist, my brain did this weird thing where I thought it's one of those conditions with two words and it started in my head, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, cerebral palsy. Like I just, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what it meant. And so, you know, we, we've traveled through these years and are figuring it out, you know, but all of those things, his life has been filled with all of them, which means my life has been filled with them, which means my husband's life is filled with them, which means our daughter's life is filled with them. And so it's, it's complicated and, and thinking in terms of um, the whole family's mental health and trying to find that balance at home. Um, it's a delicate dance. Um, I don't want my whole life to be defined around being the mother of a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we fall into pockets of that as parents of kids with disabilities, that some days you can only define yourself as that. And then there are other days that I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a woman. I just want to be a, an executive director. I just want to be a best friend, not, you know, so I work hard to find a balance between the two. Um, I make sure that I'm advocating for my son and other people with IDD, but that I'm also taking care of me. Good. So that's just a, that's just a snippet. <laughs> just a snippet there. Mm -hmm. So for Ethan, how did you know right away in the hospital that he had CP? No, I, I, they made I, a lot of blunders. Because I have to admit ignorance here. I, I'm familiar on a very outside edge of what it is, but yeah. I don't, so, I don't understand it fully. CP is brain damage that's caused either in utero, during birth, or directly after. Okay. So that you don't have a diagnosis of cerebral palsy without the brain damage, but that happened during infancy or, or during pregnancy. Okay. Um, and so what happened with Ethan was that my amniotic fluid was leaking and nobody caught it. Didn't know. Um, went in for a non-stress test and had the OB tell me very calmly, we need to get him out now. Okay. Okay. So I had an emergency C-section. Um, he came out blue. There was no okay. APGAR for Ethan. They, I didn't even get to see him. They okay. rushed him away. My husband was there with me. He, he turned a shade of white that I've never seen before, which of course scared me to death. Right. Um, and then it was some hours before we were brought into the NICU where he was under the vent of oxygen and was like hooked up to so many things that he was right. four and a half pounds. So he wasn't super premature, okay. but he was little, um, but he was intubated. Like that's, they, they saved his life. Right. Um, if I get emotional, I still do yeah. 18 years later. Um, the funny thing was we did notice right away I'm, I'm on my back, like looking to my side because I'm still on the gurney, right? you know, spinal block, all that. 
And the thing that I noticed the most, and I said, my husband, when they wheeled me into the room and it was just the two of us, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I said, did he have an extra thumb on one hand? And my husband said, I think he did. And I was like, what the heck? Like, we had this moment of levity, like in this the scariest moment of my right. life. Turns out Ethan was born with an extra thumb. Oh, wow. On his uh, left hand. Mm-hmm. That was ended up being surgically removed when he was nine months old. Right. Um, they have pediatric hand surgeons. Didn't know that. Wow. UNC has a very good one. Um, but yeah, it was this, you know, in this moment, right? And then finally, um, they came back and said he was stable. Okay. Um, you know, I'd seen him in that drive-by and that was it. And then the next morning, went the whole night. He still didn't have a name. We also couldn't agree on a name. Oh. And I really thought I'd get my way. I was like, I just gave birth, emergency C-section. Right. I should no. But the cool part was Ethan was on the short list. And we learned that in Hebrew, Ethan means steadfast. Oh. And if my kid is anything, yep. he has proven <laughs> that with all of the disability and all of the challenges and the medical stuff, he's he surprises people at That's his little existence perfect. and it's certainly there's nothing typical about him when it comes to his physical person because he defies the laws of the fact that he survived is a miracle right and the right. fact that his brain damage is only physical so cp is brain damage that affects the muscles okay so most people with cp do not have an intellectual disability it's oh. perceived as that because of the inability to communicate orally. Right. right, right. He, his brain cannot work his tongue the way okay. that, you know, we use to make sounds and talk. He can't move his jaw. He okay. has no control over that. Right. That's why he can't talk. Not because he doesn't understand, which, you know, I imagine is a little frustrating. Um, and so, you know, we, we've, we brought him home. Finally, he was in the NICU for a few weeks, brought him home thought he was colicky. They did an ultrasound of his brain and saw nothing. My son has brain damage in three parts of his brain. Wow. They missed it all. Now. Was it there then, do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the brain damage definitely happened in that last little bit of the pregnancy. Right. With the oxygen. Yeah. Right. The oxygen, oxygen deprivation is what caused the brain damage. Well, my husband and I just thought he was a little slower because he was a boy as far as developmentally, right? Girls do everything faster. And our right. daughter was, sounds arrogant, but she was a little precocious. <laughs> Smarty pants started talking at 18 months and, you know. Right. So the pediatricians, they all say, oh, he's a boy. Boys do things slower and we believe them. Right. So that's advice I would give to younger parents. The minute you feel like something's not right, you need to speak up and start advocating in that moment. Because I did not feel empowered to say, are you sure? But, you know, three and a half months old, can't hold his head up. He's not focusing on anything. He's not, his gaze is not tracking anything. Little hands, not grasping anything, balled up in little fists. I know now, right? I can see a baby from a hundred yards and say, that kid's got CP. At the time, I had no idea. And they didn't do any tests. They didn't figure anything out. We talked about that with one of my previous guests, um, that those parenting books, if nothing else, the milestones that are there are beneficial because 
when your child's not anywhere near yeah. that, you need to say something. And, right. and, yep. and, and all of us have hit that point where it was up to yep. us to ask a question and not a doctor right. to tell us that. Exactly. And a lot of children have developmental delays that they outgrow, especially mm -hmm. if they get early intervention and other right. early services. But there, there are, there are too many times that is, and more, more men than women have IDD and autism. That's mm -hmm. just, you know, a right. thing. I don't know the numbers, but more men have disabilities, intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism than women. And we still say boys do things slower than girls. And so he was, it wasn't until he was six months old that I'd sort of like had enough. And he'd had some genetic testing because of the thumb. The, oh, right. With the extra thumb. And so that all sort of started to come together because the geneticist noticed at a doctor's visit, nothing to do with thumb, but that he was getting a flat spot, but off to the side because his head, babies are do the archer pose. Mm -hmm. They usually grow out of it in infancy. Ethan hadn't. And oh. so he was getting a flat spot, not on the back where a lot okay, of backs right. babies so he sent us to a neurosurgeon because thought he might need one of those helmets. And again, we're clueless. We think he's just a crabby, colicky baby, honestly. Right. Yeah. And we went to the neurosurgeon and I think she took one look at him and knew he had CP, but it was not her place to diagnose. So she referred us to a neurologist to get an MRI and to start physical therapy. Okay. My husband and I are still clueless. We were like, okay, you know, we were those parents, like, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We actually got to the physical therapist before the MRI appointment. I know she took one look at him and, and knew our son had CP and didn't say anything. Now I will say Ethan is still Ethan's physical therapist 18 years later. She has known him longer than most people in his life. We finally got the MRI, get to the neurologist, reading the um, radiologist report, the neurologist diagnosed our son with cerebral palsy without even seeing the scans. Okay. And that's when she told me and I had my freak out moment. And right. we got home and my husband gets online, Googles, I'm the opposite. I don't look up anything. I don't, I don't I'm always just afraid I'm going to be like sca more scared than I already well, am. So, so, sometimes the information you come across may not be the right information too. Yeah. Well, the first thing my husband read was that one out of five marriages last when you have a child with special needs. That's literally like the first like thing he clicked on. Right. I think it was probably like parenting a child with cerebral palsy or something. <laughs> right. It was like 80% of our marriages end in divorce. I remember he called me into the office and he took my hand. He said, we're in the 20%. Okay. And then promptly burst into tears. And yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's been a lot of crying on and off for the last 18 years. Like I, I always say to people, if you're not crying, then you're bottling it up and you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. Every time setback, bad news, whatever. Right. Just acknowledging all the things that our kids won't do. Right. It's owning it and, you know. And I'm so, sure it comes in stages. Yeah, but Ethan got diagnosed at seven months old and okay. he'd had it since the moment he was born. Now I will say, personally, I had people say to me, who are you suing? I was like, suing? What are you talking about suing? Like, what doctors are you suing? You know, you can sue the obstetrician, you can sue the hospital, you can sue the neonatologist. I was like, those people saved his life. If I'm suing anybody, it's me. It was my body that had the thing that went wrong. And that took lots of therapy to be able to say that out loud and not have a nervous breakdown, mm. honestly. But I was like, why would I blame anybody? Yeah. That, that's, that's absolutely absurd. They saved his life. And 
throughout the years, all of the doctors and teachers and everything that have just whatever they contributed, I've always accepted with gratitude and profound thanks. Yes, the professionals screw up. They screw up all the time. And they have the time the doctors know less than I do. They don't like it when you tell them that. That's some more <laughs> advice for younger parents. You know, you can get a little cocky and arrogant, like when your kid's 10, 11, 12, and you really know what's going on. But when they're little and you're, you know, speak up for yourself for sure. But, you know, they did go to medical school for 12 years and had to get a license to do what they're doing. And if you're not happy with them, if you really think they are useless, then you go find new doctors. That That's a lesson that took me a while to be able to do because yeah. I was, you know, you, you, you go to the doctor, you trust the doctor, you go to the school, you trust the school to make changes out of the norm was a big jump for me, but yeah. I learned in baby steps that mm -hmm. it's not going to break the world. If I'm not happy with this doctor, I need to go to this one. And it actually yeah. allowed us at 18 months to get the right diagnosis for Emily, where we had no diagnosis before. It was just a fluke of nature. And that was the only answer they could give us. Yeah. So, um, but once we got her to the right place, then I could parent her better because now I knew I had mm -hmm. more information. That's right. So, That's yeah, right. but, but it is hard to do. I understand that. So parents that are listening, keep this in yeah. mind. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and whether you get the diagnosis prenatal, you know, right after they're born or when they're two or three, or even later, we, we meet families all the time that maybe don't end up with an autism diagnosis until 10, 11, 12, again, because families don't know where to go. They know something's different. But if school's not on top of it, if a pediatrician's not on top of it, then it becomes up to the parents. And whenever you get the diagnosis, you start, okay, so you start there, right? You just start there. You don't say, oh, we should have known this eight years ago. Well, that water under the bridge thing does not work with special needs parenting. You got to let it go. Right. In the moment, right now, this is what we're going to do, right? We don't plan too far in the future either. Live in the moment, get it done. That's why the arc's here, right? Because we're going to help you get it done. And so before we go on into the arc more, I, I had another question that I was thinking about when you were talking about Ethan. Now with his hands, so he's not tactile. Is that what you were saying? So no. with the visual impairment. And he hates it when you pry his hands open okay. to try to get him to he, art. I, I literally, that was teachers. I'd have to say, please don't make him do art. They'd send home these beautiful art projects that the art teacher did and put his flipping name on, Yeah, you know? <laughs> And, and, and that took me a long time to get a parent and say, please stop doing that. Yeah. He, he's not, he is not creating this. All you're doing is breaking my heart a little bit more. And if he doesn't care about it, it doesn't mean anything to him either. Now so. they, all these adaptive things like mm -mm, let his little hands do their little fisty thing and talk to him, listen to music, right? While the other kids are drawing or painting. Right. Listen so to he's music. still getting his art input. Exactly. With the music. Yeah. The because um, the reason I was wondering is because I when I was in college, I remember there was a, a a young man that was in school with us who was who was wheelchair bound and he had a voice like a synthesizer that mm -hmm. he would use, and his I remember his hands were fairly balled up but he was but I bet he didn't have a visual impairment, so then right. he could also use the because yeah. he had he had larger pads on it. And I'm thinking this was back in the 80s. I don't know when they yeah. started with the voice simulators. It may have been an early one, but he was able to get some basic yeah. phrases that he had input into it already to interact. Yeah, with there's all these cool like retinal things that, you know, people look at a screen and can pick out words and the thing, you know, we don't have that luxury yeah. right. in our in our little CP world. Yeah, I do. There are, there are times when I'm literally like 
blinded by envy of people with less CP than my son. I can yeah. admit that. Yeah. Like I have friends that, you know, their kids are in regular ed, verbal, use a wheelchair, um, mm -hmm. you know, have more of the um, hemiplegic, like lower half of the body is affected. And I, I get to the point where like, I can't be around them when they start complaining. That's the other thing too, as parents, you have to surround yourself with the people that know when it's their turn to talk and know when it's your turn and know when to kind of, you know what, you need to talk to somebody. I'm going to listen today and not try to compare it to my situation because our kids are all different. Might be the same diagnosis, but every child's different. And you can find people pretty similar, especially like when you're shopping for a new wheelchair or that kind of thing. But it's, it's hard. I know, you know, every, every diagnosis, autism, right? Spectrum, they're all spectrums. Mm -hmm. There is a spectrum of, of cerebral palsy of people that walk with a slight gait to people like my son that right. also ended up visual impaired, impaired in the process as well. So, because I've seen online, um, some athletes with CP and, yeah. um, it's like, so that's, you're, you're right. That's, that's a huge spectrum yeah. range of, um, that's there as special needs parents, we do need to be sensitive to each other that oh yeah, it's, you know, we can help each other and encourage each other, but we're not always going to be able to walk in each other's shoes. Right. And, it's hard and, enough, right. When you take your kid to school and all of, you know, the typical kids are running around and doing their thing and getting in trouble. And, you know, it's already hard enough to feel like the outsider there, mm -hmm. which certainly don't want to feel the outsider when you go to a support group. No, exactly. You know, exactly. It happens sometimes. And I think that, you know, it's important that everybody knows, like nobody's doing it to be mean. Right. It just becomes this thoughtless because we get caught up in our own thing. But sometimes I think it's really important that we remember, hey, here's this new mom that's come to the group. Let's make sure we don't complain for hours on end about what it's like to have an 18 year old when she is a two year old. Like, yeah. I, I had 16 years to get up to this mm -hmm. and get, you know, right. It's right. the same thing. Like when I meet people that have children with degenerative conditions. Right. And they're like, well, you know, your son uses a wheelchair. I was like, no, my kid was born using a wheelchair. Your child walked and ran. And then yeah. I've known a couple of families like that. And then I, I think like, no, I have it easier in some ways. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's I've been doing it longer, but it's, it's, it's what I know. It's what, you know, we've had, yeah, that's, that's, and no matter what your, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off there. That's okay. No matter what your level of need is as a parent of a child with a disability, you're going to have those moments that are hard for you. And they mm -hmm. may seem like a breeze to the next mom because of what she's facing, but right. for you, it's still a hard moment and you still yep. need that support. So I don't want yep. anyone to, to exit this thinking, well, my kids just have a little bit that I have to worry about. Yeah. You still need it's to, all... to deal with that stress that you're facing with it too. Right, exactly. It's, and... it's right. It's, it's understanding that we all walk in similar shoes, right. not the same shoes. And that at the, at the ARC, we teach our employees to show empathy. Well, it's important as, as parents that we extend that same emotion to other parents that we need because you never know what somebody's going through. I mean, we should just do that as humans, right? With everybody. Right. <laughs> we should. Yes. <laughs> I feel like the world has gone away from that. And, and you if know, you have lived like in this world very down, long, <laughs> yeah. right. Maybe coming out of the pandemic, we will right. become I, a caring. I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, 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 that we've learned that about each other 
coming through this. Hope so. So I've I've seen your business card. I've seen a couple of promotional flyers, and what I've noticed on them, I don't know if we can see this here or not. This is your your business card on the back of it. So you got that mm-hmm. recognize disabilities, emphasize abilities. I love that slogan. So is that for your office, or is that across the board for most of the art? It's just the arc of the triangle. I I, I really like that. And then the hashtag see the person at the bottom. If you can read that or not. Yeah. The um I I I, I like that. It's just just the focus yeah. being beyond. It's not the the issue that you're facing. It's the right. person that's there. Right. But at the arc, we very much believe in using the D word. It's okay to say disability. Yeah. There's sometimes too much of a sugary ability, this ability, that. We try very much to recognize that the arc is here to serve people with disabilities and their families, right? So we will emphasize the abilities, but we also are, the services we're providing are because you have a disability. And so, you know, we, we had a consultant come in to do some team building stuff. And one of the things we wanted a slogan that was not part of the arc of the United States, you know, what they were doing, we wanted our own thing. And so everybody submitted their ideas and then, you know, got it down to a few and then everybody got to vote. And so it was a, the staff chose that that was the one that stuck out because everybody said, we really like that it has the word disabilities in it, that it wasn't this sugar-coated everything with the word special and exceptional. And my child is not exceptional. He's a pain in the butt sometimes. (laughs) Recognize that he needs support, right? right? Recognize that he needs help. I'm okay with that. But everything being literally special and exceptional That was somebody without disabilities trying to sugarcoat the world that we live in. And you just just don't be offensive. We're not exceptional, but we're also, our kids are not less human somehow because they have a disability. They have a diagnosis, right? right? And that's where just just treat them normally, right? Just treat them the way you treat everybody else. Don't make assumptions that they can't do something. But when you learn that they can't do something, then make the accommodation. Well, and some of our listeners I'm finding are, they have no connection with anyone with a disability. And I really appreciate that part of our audience because they're seeking out a way to help them become better friends to just the neighbors around them. And as they meet people people on the street, not to draw assumptions. And, um, and so, you know, it's one of those things that you never know who's going to, who's going to listen to this now or six months from now. But, um, but I, I appreciate the different types of people that are coming in, even though our target yeah. audience are those parents with young children right now, we still have others. We have professionals that'll be listening. We have, you know, yep. different ones coming in and this is a good platform to be able to discuss some of these things that may not be as easy to have conversations with if you don't have connection with another yeah. family. So right. I'm, I'm hoping it's, it's helping. We're, we're, we're trying our best to get there. Mm-hmm. The, um, so We've heard your personal story, but how did you get involved with the Arc of the Triangle to begin with? Well, it's funny because I think I mentioned this earlier, when my son was first diagnosed, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I met, it turned out we got put on a waiting list for early intervention services. Again, didn't know what that meant. Okay. And so I, I went to the pediatrician, like referred me to some like evening program where providers were talking about what you could do until you got early intervention services. And again, so I went to the thing, I had no idea. I was 
awkward and uncomfortable and I didn't want to be there. And I met this woman and when she learned how old my son was and you know what his diagnosis was, she said, will you be interviewed on TV about the waiting list? I was like, okay. And so we did. That was the first time I was interviewed on television. And, you know, again, just was like, yeah, we have a baby with CP. And they took video of how he was a very cute baby, I will say that. And <laughs> see, he, he but is that exceptional. Woman, <laughs> he is exceptionally cute. Yeah. That woman had said, you know, I said, so one of the services she told me about was the Ark of Wake County. She said, you should call the Ark. They're all diagnoses, you know, all ages. You should call them. I said, okay. So I called the Ark of Wake County and told the woman what the deal was. And I remember I got upset on the phone. I was still, it's hard for me to talk about with people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she, you know, said, this is, you know, once you get the early intervention, this is what you'll get. And she answered some questions. It's not like the ARC had any real services for me with an infant to take part in, but she said something to me. And, and I told her that I had a graphic design business and worked from home and she had, the chutzpah to say to me, would you want to volunteer with the ARC and, and maybe help us? We, we don't have anybody to design anything and all of our stuff is antiquated okay. and outdated. And I was like, sure. Sure, why not? Why not? <laughs> so I started as a volunteer, helped them design some marketing materials for a transition fair that they were hosting at the time. Then before I knew it, I joined the board of directors and within a year agreed to be president. You know, there's no like, election like wins and loses and that you know kind of situation and they just looking for volunteers and because I work from home and I only work part-time I was able to dedicate more time right you know to volunteering at the ARC and so then after the presidency ended I was the past president the executive director at the time resigned and the current president said do you think you could sort of just fill in as the interim executive director you know just be the signer on the bank account, that kind of thing. And the employees will do their thing. There's only six employees at the Arkaway County. Okay. And I talked to my husband about it and we agreed, sure, why not? By that point, Ethan was in preschool or elementary school by then. And so the kids were in school. And I said, as long as it's during the school day and as long as if I have a child homesick, you know, I'm not coming to work. I basically was a part-time interim okay. executive director. And then the board offered me the job permanently part-time. I'd owned my own business. So I like, knew how to like balance checkbook and pay bills and learned how to do payroll, that kind of stuff. But the women and one guy that worked for the Arkaway County were, they're the best people in the world. And a bunch of them still work for the Arc of the Triangle now that um, I'd never really known. You think of sort of a stereotypical social worker and this was different because it really was about empowering and supporting families, not offering help, right? It wasn't like, here's the solution to your problem. It was like, let's help you find the solution. What can you do? Do you want to get a job? Do you want to join our choir? Do you want to join our self-advocacy group? And it was very, okay. um, in some ways, like ahead of its time, I feel like. And um when we had the idea to merge, I was talking to the executive director of the Arc of Orange County. We were talking about our self-advocacy groups. We met for lunch and he and I are chatting. And honestly, I don't remember which one of us brought it up, but he said, you know, if we merged, we could save so much on resources that we could put it back into the community. Right. 
And so we brought our board of directors in a year and a half later, we were the arc of the triangle, brought in Durham. Durham had no leadership at that time. So their board of directors was perfectly happy to <laughs> give us their part of the triangle. And I became the marketing director. I said, I don't want to be, I can't be a full-time executive director. The arc of orange was a Medicaid provider. They employed 150 people. Wow. I, I managed six. Right. And so I said, make me your marketing director. We have a whole name. We have to rebrand. We have to, you know, all of these, we have to tell the world now we're the arc of a triangle. And so part-time again, dream job, <laughs> dream job, like getting to do all the design, the sort of fledgling social media side mm -hmm. of things. Um, and was very happy. My kids are growing up, daughters in high school. The executive director of this agency was relieved of his duties and the board came to me and I was like, boy, this seems awfully familiar. Will you be interim <laughs> executive director? And I said, yes. And at that point, my husband and I talked and the kids were big enough that we agreed that I could do this full time and take it on. And here I am today. And I still do most of the marketing. I still do all the design. Okay. Um, it's my, that's my therapy. Right. <laughs> I do that, you know, in my spare time, yeah. um, you know, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I never would have thought I would have found my career at 40 something years old. Um, you know, the career that I was meant to have, you right. know, and I always think if I didn't have Ethan, exactly, who knows what I'd be doing right now. <laughs> well, would you have even had any connection with the art? Yeah, I don't know. And um, I honestly admit I did a little volunteering, like in high school and college, but like as a young adult, I wasn't given back until <laughs> I had a child with a disability and saw the right. need for people to get involved with their community in some way, right? Whether it's, you know, helping, um, you know, people experiencing homelessness or, um, you know, the elderly or whatever, right? right? That it felt good giving back. I mean, it was a little selfish because everything I did in some way was going to benefit my child. And that's advice that I give to young parents. If you can get involved because I joined a collaborative, the Wake County LICC, it's the Local Interagency Coordinating Council, and it's a collaborative group of mostly professionals, a couple parents, around the early intervention service delivery oh. system, and got on board with that, and I knew the people that ran every agency. As just a mom, I was mm -hmm. volunteering and, you know, providing my input as a parent was, was my main purpose for being there, and... I realized because then I met people in preschool services. So by the time Ethan started preschool, I already knew the people running preschool. Right. And then when he's ready to transition to kindergarten, I already had met the, the people in the administration and special ed services in Wake County. And so for me, nothing was ever confrontational because everybody knew me and knew that like I was trying to give back and like do what was best for my child and other children. Now, have I used that to my advantage? Heck yeah. You know, I've never, when I talk to families, we get a lot of phone calls. People have trouble at school, IEP meetings, and a lot of people trying to fight for what they think their child needs and budget constraints and all of that. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate that now Ethan's needs are obvious. I mean, you know, you can't take away a one-on-one -on -one for a kid that has personal care right. needs like mine. Right. But it certainly made it easier you know, when I have suggestions about special transportation, people listen. And that's, I think it's really important that 
families try to find a way to get involved in some way, because they will give back to other families, which is great for the next generation. Mm-hmm. But you're also going to get more for your child. It's just that simple. If you understand how the system works, then people can't tell you no, because you know what the you truth what is, is and you right. know, right? And that's, I think that that's really important too. When so. I, I think, you know, we, we've had a past guest um, talk about the IEP process and how to advocate for your child. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important that parents understand that you don't want to bully yourself into those situations. But if you're mm-hmm. equipped with knowledge coming in, right. you're part of the team now. You're you're right. presenting a viable option because yeah. of what your child needs and what you know has been provided for others because right. you've been involved with these to hear what the past stories have been. Mm-hmm. And then, like you yeah. said, now you're helping the next group behind you right. have a better path as well. Yeah. That woman that I met, that got me to do the TV interview. Mm-hmm. She taught me the most valuable piece of advice that I've ever heard as the mother of a child with IDD. She said, be assertive, not aggressive. Yes. And that has stuck with me. I don't know how many parents I've given that advice to. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But, and and it's not about sort of the other extreme is like, you know, the example of like bringing a basket of muffins to an IEP meeting. No, no, you don't no. need to bribe people with no. treats. But you also need to go in there and say, we're not leaving here until we figure out the best thing for my child. Right. So let's figure out as a team how to do that. But we live in a very litigious society. And I think people turn to um, the idea of like, I'm going to get a lawyer. Well, that people shut down. Yeah. These are teachers, underpaid, overworked teachers. They are not not providing the service because they're mean or they don't care right. about your child. Right. The majority There's something want going on behind the scenes. It's usually monetary, even though, but we also know like in Wake County, North Carolina, it's the 14th largest school district in the nation. Mm-hmm. There are, I think the last count was almost 21,000 students with IEPs in one school district. Yeah. Whereas like Chapel Hill Carborough schools has like a few hundred. Wow. Who's managing that better? Right. Right. The school system is huge. These teachers are strapped. Never mind the labor shortage now because of well, COVID. Because of COVID. But, yeah. Even more so. Right. That you have to work together as a team and you have to be willing to, to give concession. But I have my unprofessional theory is that there are so many parents that aren't receiving the supports that they need, that this is something that they think that they can have control over. And it makes them feel more empowered. Mm-hmm. And I literally would love to say to parents, instead of an attorney, get yourself a therapist. Literally start working through some of this stuff. Yeah. Start talking about it because we are so angry and so sad on so many occasions that if you don't own that and get the help you need, you start taking it out on the people who really are trying to help you. Right. Whether it's, the receptionist at the neurologist's office when you just find out that your child has cerebral palsy or the you know woman at the desk at UNC hospitals that your child's going under the knife for the first time and they're doing that ma'am you need to fill out this paperwork and yeah. I'm like crying and having a nervous <laughs> breakdown and you know yep <laughs> there, there are so many times that we need more than our friends more than our families more than our spouse 
that we need professional help. And that's usually not an attorney. That is not who is going to cure your child because guess what? They're not getting cured and you can't fix them, yeah. right? Ethan's not broken. He just came out this way. Right. And so I always, you know, the be assertive, not aggressive, number one, but number two, take care of yourself. Because if you walk into an IEP meeting ready to do battle, you're the one who's going to lose. Yeah. Your child is the one who's going to lose. Now you've come in argumentative. So yeah. have you burned the bridge of working as a team now? Exactly. So, you know, the, exactly. Your, your child's not going to suffer, but your relationship now with those professionals is going to suffer. Right. Right. And it's not to say that they're not wrong. Sometimes right. the principals don't understand special education. Yeah. Then you escalate it, but you, you do it the right order. You talk to the teacher, the principal. If the principal isn't willing to listen and have a conversation and respect you, then you definitely escalate it. I'm not yeah. saying you give up and not do anything, right? But you have to do it the right way. And so, then people will respect you and they'll say, wow, this, this, this mom just needs to do what's best for a child. And we respect that. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to tell you the 10 ways why, you know, reasons <laughs> well, we why we can't, can't do what you want, right? So when you and I spoke earlier, I was telling you about my experience with the ARC when my kids were younger and some mm -hmm. of the um, ideas that I had had of, of what it represented. Can you give us an official brief history of the ARC? Because it's yeah. been around since when? 1954. 54. Okay. So it started as what, and then we know where it is today, but kind of take, take us through a, a brief yeah. history there. So the ARC is, was the first organization that was formed around advocating for children with disabilities. Um, it was started in North Carolina in Raleigh in 1954 by parent, parents of children with disabilities that basically um, were tired of their children being institutionalized because that's what would have happened in 1954. If you so wait, I'm going to stop you for a minute. Yeah. So it started in North Carolina? Yeah. Well, the... Just the our ARC, local one. This is... I was actually just talking to a new employee about this. No one can tell me how the ARC ended up nationwide, how okay. these little parent groups popped up all over the country and ended up using the same name, right? For the internet. Right. That, that no one can seem to explain because the ARC, so it was the ARC, the Association for Retarded Children, was started in Raleigh. The ARC of North Carolina came later. The Ark of the United States came later Okay, as a, let's bring it all together. It was almost like little franchises without the corporation right. to start. And so the fact that there, you know, there's an Ark chapter in every state, every state has the Ark of New Jersey, Delaware, whatever. Right. And then like in North Carolina, I think now there are, I want to say maybe around 20 active chapters. Okay. Some are service providers like we are you know, serving hundreds of families and some are, um, some volunteers maybe hosting a parent support group and okay. a self-advocacy group, um, or partnering with, um, you know, some civic organizations to put on community events, that sort of thing. Right. But so the, the ARC, which it's not an acronym anymore, <laughs> um, was started in 1954, um, child like mine, had been born in 1954, the doctor literally would have been like, yeah, we're going to hospitalize him over here. Y'all need to try again. Okay. And parents said, this is ridiculous. Our children should be home. Kids with autism were put in mental institutions. Yeah. Um, and it was bad. Yeah. Like really, really bad. Um, 
you know, not as bad as like, you know, in the Middle Ages, putting a disabled child out in the winter weather to die of frozen death, but it really wasn't that much better than that in the 20th century. Um, cool story, when the Ark of Durham started, it was in like 1963, um, six families got together, went before the school board and said, we want our children educated in public school. And the school board was like, no, I don't think so. So the parents left and they came back with their kids and said, tell them that they can't go to school Good with their them. siblings and their peers. And so Durham Public School said, fine, we'll give you one classroom in one school and you have to provide transportation. And the first fundraiser for the Ark of Durham bought an unused station wagon and these parents would take turns carpooling wow. <laughs> these kids to this one classroom in one school. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like, this is not about me. This is about my child. You, you tell her she can't go to school. Mm -hmm. You tell him that his brother's going to get on the bus every morning and he's not. Right. And so, and then the Ark of Orange County was started in the early 70s. And, you know, again, each chapter sort of provided the services that were needed in that community at the time. Okay. Um, and so, the Tammy Lynn Center, located here in Raleigh, they have an integrated preschool program. They have um, housing for people with disabilities. That was actually started by Arc of Wake Counties. You know, that's what the name ended up. Um, started by parents that were on that board. The Frankie Lemon School, which is an integrated developmental day center here in, in Wake County, that was started by Frank Lemon, who was on the board of directors. And so parents said, we have this different need and we know that's not the arc of Wake County's thing. So we're going to go start something new. Okay. We're going to, we're going to go over here and do this so that the arc could continue with its mission, but we can still expand and serve young children or we can provide housing or whatever that those needs were. And so in 1993 is when the name was officially changed to not be an acronym anymore. So the arc was very much ahead of the curve with the R word being we knew it was offensive in the 70s. We knew it was offensive in the 80s, but it was okay. Okay. It was okay if you called somebody the R word because they were being stupid or foolish, right? Mm -hmm. And the ARC said, no, it's offensive. Now, it took the medical community until not even 10 years ago to take MR out of their vernacular and stop referring to our children as mentally right. retarded. Um, wow. We've come a long way, but all of those that kind of advocacy was parents. Okay. saying enough is enough yeah, treat wow. our children with dignity and respect let them go to school and now we're to the point where it is commonplace for adults with disabilities to get jobs that was not commonplace right. even 15 years ago unless it was the tokenism the greeter at walmart yeah you know we've come a long way or or you know adults with disabilities working in sheltered workshops getting paid basically right. 10 cents an hour yep you know, um, and really figuring out how to, you know, let children blossom however they're going to blossom and give them the supports they need in school, then provide those recreational opportunities so they can have fun, right? Mm -hmm. Some of our kids can do integrated programming, and I think that's great. Some of our kids can't. Right. My son uses a wheelchair, and he actually plays football every fall with a special needs football team. Oh, cool with a buddy pushing them out there in 90 degree weather, these right. high school football <laughs> players who volunteer. But like my son plays football. And if you mention football to him, his eyes just light up. 
you know, great. but obviously he's not playing football at school. Right. And he shouldn't because then the other kids aren't going to get to play to have the experience they want to have. Or he's going to be hurt with. Right, exactly. Or, you know what they're going to do even worse. They're going to put him on the sidelines. Right. Put him in a jersey and let him. Yeah. Let him be the water boy. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'd rather have a special team. Exactly. And other kids with all different diagnoses. There are kids with autism, Down syndrome, other kids using wheelchairs, you know, but that's all of these things are kind of possible because of the parents that started the arc almost 70 years ago now to say, duh, of course our kids should be going to school and coming to church with us and yep. playing in their neighborhood. And, you know, so it's taken a long time. I think we're finally there. Well, so speaking of disabilities, what types of disabilities do you provide services for? Um, all intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism. So Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, fragile X, um, any kind of IDD diagnosis. Um, we do not provide services to disabilities like caused due to an accident um, or like military okay. um, disabilities caused by, by military service. Um, those, we get calls all the time and we you know do our best to try to funnel people to the right places. Um, but IDD is defined by, you know, disability that happens at birth. Um, and, and it includes a TBI, someone the, under the age of 21. Okay. And so if a child has a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, then um, because the brain's not fully developed until around 21, right. that can be classified as IDD. Oh, okay. Um, you know, again, to qualify for services, right? Any any child with any learning disability that's identified is going to get services that they need at school, right? You know, but as far as like fund state funded services, um, that's that's who we support. But like we we have people that call us facing homelessness. Like I, I don't, I, I always wonder, like how do people get our number? And people just call and say, "Can you help me?" And we do our darndest to have a list of resources you know, to not just say to someone, sorry, we don't do that and hang up because that'd be rude. Well, I met um, Michelle Foy, your um, community programs director at when we did episode seven at the Marbles, the Century Play event that they had. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that she had shared with me was that um, that if, if a family were to call, you're going to give them information to try to get them in the right direction, even if you're not providing services. And yeah, I appreciated we, that because we we were talking about how new families are to an area, they don't know where to start. So they're going to call someone somewhere, but if we're all helping to kind of get them in the right place or the right mm -hmm. direction, it'll help. So, um, yeah. so I was glad to hear that, that you are capable of doing that and willing to, to do that. Even, even if you're not able to serve them, you could at least help them start, yeah. start, start somewhere else. One of the, one of the biggest services that we provide is free information and resources, which we don't get paid for that. Um, because I do know a lot of people come to North Carolina from other States that have heard of the arc. And so they'll call because it's a name that's familiar to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if somebody just stumbles across us that even if, if we can't help them, I'm going to have a list of resources, even if at the bare minimum, it's you have a child, young child with autism, you should call the Autism Society's local chapter 
and see if they have a support group that you right. could start attending so you can meet other parents. Or if you're on Facebook, here are some of the special needs groups where you might be able to, you know, get some some assistance that you need. Right. So when you were talking about the different disabilities, so you said, so it's intellectual and developmental disabilities mm-hmm. and then yeah. also autism. So I have a lot of things that I've been reading. The autism community, a lot of folks with autism don't define it as having a developmental disability. Okay. And so I'm trying to be more respectful. The ARC, the ARC basically coined person first language, the idea of saying a boy with autism rather than an autistic boy. Now, in the autism community, there are conversations going on about that, that some people with autism prefer to identify as autistic. That's fine. As a provider, as a third party, we do our best to use person-centered language and be respectful. And so that is acknowledging that to a lot of people with autism or that have children with autism is that they don't think of it as a disability, that that the neurodivergency isn't, and it's not about like trying to be politically correct. It's just about trying to be cognizant of we're in an ever-changing world and how we speak Mm -hmm. and trying to always be respectful of that community right? I don't live with autism. I don't have autism. I am not autistic, however you want to say it. So I will just try to speak as broadly and respectfully as possible. And so we're sort of starting to separate it out when we're talking in general about who we serve. Okay. Okay. Well, I I noticed that I thought that's what you had said. Um, yeah. but I wasn't sure why it was separate. So that, that, that explains yeah. there too. And I, and I'm seeing those and having some of those similar discussions and it yeah. seems like depends on who I'm talking with, how they feel about it. Um, even as exactly. far as using person first language or disabilities, um, right. it's, it's across the board, depending on right. who it is. For adults, it's very different than when you're talking to a parent of a small child, mm-hmm. right? The parent obviously is going to decide Right. How they're going to describe their child or talk about their child. Are there particular ages that you work with? All ages. Our primary services, our Medicaid and other state-funded services, primarily end up being for teens and adults and seniors. But we're very cognizant of the fact that our, our children start out babies and small. And like I said, we, we believe in the information and resource process is a huge part of it to help answer those questions. And we also host some really fun events for little kids. Every year we host Party and Picks with Santa, which is a holiday event. Um, we have professional photographers coming out of COVID. We actually did Party and Picks online one year. That was strange, but <laughs> normally the kids visit with Santa. We have a professional photographer that takes the pictures for free. And during the event, there's letters to Santa and decorate cookies and crafts and stuff like that, just to make it a nice outing. Because what I learned with my son was that I wanted the mall to work. It didn't. Mm -hmm. The people herders, when they set up Santa, are not wheelchair accessible. And when you're trying to like bump through them and people are staring at you and you're already sweating and your typical child's ready to have a meltdown because once again, brother with special needs is taking everything over. I I just couldn't do it. Yeah. But I still wanted the picture with Santa. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the other thing. We'd get Ethan up to Santa and his wheelchair would be three feet away from Santa's chair. Oh, right. And and Santa beaming at the camera. And like, could you pretend you care that my child is over there? With At our event, Santa will go sit crisscross applesauce on the floor with a child that prefers nice. that than sitting on his weird lap. And 
we figure out how to get Santa up close and personal with the wheelchairs. So the picture is of the two of them, not right. with three feet in between them. Nice. You know, we invite the whole family and Santa's in a private room so that there's no judgment. There's no, you take as long as you need until you get that picture. And then we're going to get that digital picture to you, you know, Nice. And, and it's, it's just, it's a fun event. It's the event that like all of our volunteers want to volunteer at. Oh, I'm sure. We do host a, a Christmas, a holiday party for teens and adults as well. Um, where there's a DJ and dancing and, you know, mm -hmm. definitely more of a, a grown up setting this year we right. had it in person with masks, socially distanced. So we played bingo. Um, we did oh, yeah. some like holiday trivia, sing along things, you know, mm -hmm. so we, with our ebbs and flows, right. The pandemic, we, we were on it. We were like online classes. We got this, you know, <laughs> the idea is that you have to figure out how are you going to serve this community and it isn't stationary. It is constantly evolving and constantly changing. Um, we also are hoping to host again the end of this summer, Wings for Autism, which is air travel training for families that have kids with autism oh, and similar great. diagnoses. It's not just autism. Um, but when we did it last in 2019, um, we partnered with RDU Airport and Delta Airlines. The families came, they had to, you had to sign up, it was free. Mm -hmm. we got to the airport, they came onto the concourse and everybody signed in and the kids all got little backpacks. So they had luggage mm -hmm. and something that they'd have to give up at the TSA line, right. right? They had to check in. They opened up a private TSA line with a TSA officer just for our event. So the families had to wait in line like every, so to yeah. really experience. That's great. What that, from the minute you park the car, what does this look like mm -hmm. to see whether or not this was going to work? And well, yeah. so, so now the family can buy a ticket if, yeah. if they want right. to. <laughs> right. So they or go through not. the TSA line, down the, you know, concourse, wait at the gate, wait, 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 get on the plane, board the plane, do the safety stuff. Now, the first year we did it, the plane didn't leave the gate, but Delta, they literally started at the plane and we drove around the airport for about That's 30 great. minutes. That's great. <laughs> so the only thing missing was the sensation of taking off, obviously, and landing and cabin right. pressure. Right. But the noise, the closed space, the sit in your seat mm -hmm. with your seatbelt on, yep. everybody yep. got to experience that. And that was one of those events that several weeks later, a mom called me up and she said, I don't know if you remember meeting me, but we met at a resource fair. And I had told you how my son had never flown and you told me about your program and that he had never met his grandmother. The kid was 10 years old and grandma lived in Texas and she was unable to travel because of health reasons. And she said, we came to your event and we just got back from visiting Texas. And she said, you changed my child's life. You changed my life. And of course I was, I've got chills right now. You're just telling me the story, <laughs> Yeah, but that, and so I immediately then shared that story with the folks over at the airport and the airline to say, you all giving up your Saturday or was it a Sunday? Maybe it was on a Sunday, but to do this amazing thing, it worked that somebody wasn't afraid to invest a thousand dollars in two plane tickets because what if, she right. knew she felt confident mm -hmm. and her son did fine because he'd experienced it. Right. And he knew what to expect. 
And even, I mean, the Wings for Autism, even before the event, they even have a video that the families can watch with their children. Okay. To prepare them for the preparation. Well, for the airport experience to get to the exactly. parking lot and, and everything. And we trained the TSA officials. Okay. And talked about the main thing is, right, defer to the parent. Mm -hmm. If you need to tell the child to take their shoes off or do something, you need to tell the parent. Yeah. If they're small. If they're an adult, you need to talk to them like they're an adult. And if they have someone there assisting them, because we did have some adults participate too. Okay. But the whole event afterwards, the flight attendants were like, they had just gotten back from flying back from Paris and yeah. stayed at the airport to do this event for us. Wow. And those women were like, this was the, the best thing we've ever done at work. Oh, I'm sure. So there, there are ways that we're serving. We have a music therapist on staff now too, that works with our little ones. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to serve children in ways that other places aren't. I do not believe in reinventing the wheel. There's not enough money funding donors to be doing the same thing somebody else is. Right. Miracle right. League's got that baseball thing down pat. I will tell families about right. Miracle League. Right. Yeah. My child, you know, loves to watch their older brother play baseball. Well, do you know about Miracle League? Because he could be playing baseball too. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's what the ARC does really well yeah. is if we don't do it, we're going to help you find somebody that does, you know, the, um, the, there's a woman that works for the ARC of North Carolina. When I first met her, I asked her, I said, what, what ages, you know, do you just serve children? Cause I had a child. And she said, honey, we serve from the womb to the tomb. And I was like, <laughs> you know, but she was right. We have a supported retirement program for seniors with disabilities mm -hmm. that is one of a kind. You know, there's nothing like it in the state of North Carolina, but the idea is that seniors need different activities right. than their younger peers do, but they should still be able to get out and choose what they do, just like you and I will do when we retire. Right. So, right. Yeah, it's everybody. That's, that's great. I know you have a fundraiser coming up soon. Can you tell us about mm -hmm. that in case any of our local listeners want to participate? Yeah, so we um, are hosting our third Casino Royale Ooh. at Marbles Kids Museum in downtown Raleigh. We've been partnering with Marbles um, with their sensory-friendly playtime back when it was called Family Fun Day. Mm -hmm. um, that it is, it's it's a full-on professional casino atmosphere. Like the dealers are professional. There's craps, blackjack, wow. Texas Hold'em, and um, roulette. Um full dinner buffet bar with beer and wine. We're adding trivia. Um, we had some online fundraisers during COVID and remember people love trivia. And so we'll, we'll host online trivia. And then a big part of the fundraiser is our auction, which is all of the items will be there, but it's also online. So if someone okay. can't go that night, they can still be bidding on stuff. Um, we have vacations. We have sports memorabilia like from the Carolina Hurricanes. We have jewelry and local art. We have art by a man with Down syndrome who lives in London, England, wow. who donated a painting. There's a, a fella from Raleigh, Wiley Johnson, who has donated some of his abstract art, which I learned about him because my husband bought me one of his paintings. He's very talented. Um, so all sorts of stuff that we have, Kate Spade, handbag, like wow. fun stuff. So um, listeners even outside the area could still participate in that part. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yes. We have like local, like marbles donated one year family membership. 
the North Carolina Museum of Art donated membership. Right. So some of the, you know, tickets and and those kinds of things are local. We have a wine tasting for 20 at Total Wine in North wow. Hills here in Raleigh. Um, so that's a great big part of the fundraiser besides um, our sponsors um, that I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't, you know, thank IBM, Cary State Planning, Raleigh Neurology, Publix Foundation, like those are some of our larger supporters. We have a lot of local businesses that sponsor the event as well. Nice. But it's a really fun night. It's, you know, it. I think everyone's really excited to be able to get back out in, the pub, in public as well. We were wondering, we canceled it. We were supposed to have it April 2020. And we canceled so, it. Yeah, it was right away. In March. Yeah. And so this, kept, so this is the first one back again. First one back. Since and there will okay. be hand sanitizer in the swag bag yeah. that everybody gets when they come through the door. Um, yeah, but we're really excited. That um, sounds it's like a, a lot of fun. Yes, and it is. it is. It's for, obviously, we say you're betting on a good cause. Uh-huh. Um, there are prizes, like for the people that win, like the big winners at the casino games when they cash in their chips, we've got some prizes and prizes for trivia. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to win stuff. So, But the big winners, it sounds corny, are the people that we support by all of the people that attend. Oh, because yeah, all of our community programs are not funded by state funding, like our Medicaid services are. And so we do fundraising in order to be able to offer the array of things that we do. So besides the Casino Royale that's coming up, what other major events do you have during the year? So we talked about the Santa. Yeah. So coming up in May is our annual meeting, which there's some business taken care of at that, you know, the board of directors gets elected. Um, I do a year in review for our, our members. Okay. The ARC is a membership organization. You can okay. become a member. It's not mandatory. Um, but one of the things we do at that is our ARC awards, um, which right now we're taking nominations for, and it's categories like teacher of the year, direct okay. care worker of the year, um, professional of the year, uh, self-advocate of the year, sibling of the year. Oh, cool. My daughter got that award one year. There was not a dry-eyed eye in the house. <laughs> um, it, but it's a, it's an opportunity for the community to nominate. It's not just people involved with the ARC. Okay. Um, in fact, our employees aren't eligible for those awards. We have our own employee awards. Right. Um, but it's an opportunity for a parent to nominate a even like a bus driver on special transportation. Nice. Um, sometimes the one-on-one at school will get nominated for an award. And th- those unsung heroes, we, we, we literally, like, it's just a little engraved wooden plaque and a bouquet of flowers. You would think we were presenting folks with an Oscar. Like, it's just, people don't get thanked enough. They don't, they don't. And yeah, it's, we, we, we also will celebrate like an employer of the year is someone that employs people with disabilities mm-hmm. um, and goes that extra mile. Usually our employees nominate those people. Okay. Um, but it's just a way we have, we honor our community partners. We have a distinguished service award that goes to somebody that's really gone beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, one year, probably going back now, seven, eight years, it was the executive director of the Miracle League of the Triangle. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, just the idea of other agencies that are doing wonderful things for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, we honored somebody last year online. We had the awards um, that ran the Special Olympics program in Orange County. Okay. You know, right. So we just try to make sure that um, the folks out there in the trenches 
know that they're appreciated. Right. Um, so we're doing that in May. Okay. Um, we're actually thinking about hosting our own resource fair in June, but I don't have any details on that. Um, we're actually also getting ready to provide a summer camp, um, most likely in Raleigh. We're nailing down the location for teens and middle school, high school age kids. Oh, good. Because there are plenty of opportunities for little kids. Mm-hmm. But what some of the folks that sponsor these things forget is that a teen with IDD, with Down syndrome, with with cerebral palsy, can't be home after school or during the summer by themselves like their right. typical peers can. And so my, you know, my son, there's been not a whole lot for him in the summer yeah. that doesn't want to deal with his personal care issues, right? So the idea is with the ARC, we get behavior plans. We get incontinence products on 18 year olds. Mm -hmm. Like we're not afraid to talk about that sort of thing. And we train our employees, not only how to deal with it, but how to be respectful and careful and conscientious. And so we decided, we were like, you know what? We need to do this. We we need to be a day camp or an overnight camp. Just day camp. Day camp. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, the location that we're, you know, most likely going to use will be, um, uh, Wake County Public School property. Okay. Um, not right. one of their schools, but some of their professional buildings. So we're very excited. We're, we're trying a lot of new things these days. Some of our listeners have submitted some questions for us, and I thought you might be able to help answer some of them. The first one is from a parent who has a child who has autism. They're young. They're third grade. They're eight years old right now, but they have not had an evalu- a formal evaluation since they entered preschool at three. Um, and then the second part of it is they said that they have a legal aid worker working with them, but they're not sure if that's in their best interest. Um, hiring an attorney is not an option. So they're, that's, that's not something that they're going to do, but they're not sure what the role the legal aid, um, representative plays in this. If it's, if they're representing the family or if they're representing the school. So if you have any input for them, we'll pass that on to them. Sure. So the, the first question I would ask is, um, regardless of the evaluation, that just needs to be done. Um, because before eight, they just say developmentally delayed for everybody. And then they have to put your kid in the box. So you need to obviously do the evaluation. Um, you know, and the school will provide that. You right. don't have to go do it with a private psychologist or something. As far as bringing legal representation to an IEP meeting, if it's a regular IEP meeting where you're talking about planning your child's academic year or the services they need or the accommodations that they need, a lot of the larger school systems will turn around and bring an attorney. And now you've just turned the meeting adversarial. Um, I wouldn't recommend it unless you've exhausted every other resource um, and spoken, had good conversations with the teacher and the principal. If there's an incident involved that you're getting legal representation involved with, then that doesn't need to be done. That's not done at an IEP meeting. So for example, my son's wheelchair fell over on the bus because they didn't tie down the wheelchair correctly. The teacher and the principal had nothing to do with that. That's the school system. That's the administration. If there you're talking about legal representation, I would assume a legal aid attorney would be your attorney. I don't know that for sure because I'm not an attorney. Right. Um, But I'd leave the school out. Now, if it's an incident that happened in the classroom, bullying or something like that, 
then again, I'd be starting with the teacher and the principal and saying, what are you going to do to make this stop? Right. That's what a, t- a typical parent would do if their child was bullied. Right. You, you work with the teacher and try to figure out how to make it stop. There's lots of nuances. Right. Obviously not knowing the situation. Right. But what I do know is the minute you bring in an attorney the school system is going to shut down and any chance of an amicable resolution to whatever the problem is okay. probably just came to a grinding halt because now their attorney is going to tell them, don't say a word. Okay. So inviting legal aid is not the right step. In that uh, not at that low level. No. Okay. Not when you're talking about teacher principal, probably not. Okay. Now, if communication's a barrier, right? If there, there are different things going on that it's difficult for the family to understand everything that's going on with the IP meeting. Most teachers will give you a copy of the IP before the meeting. Right. If you look it over and you're confused, that's when I would say, we're not having this meeting tomorrow because I need to, I need to understand this a little better. Either you need to answer my questions outside of that meeting, or I'm going to need to ask for some help. And the exceptional children's assistance center, the ECAC, that's a great resource for learning sort of the nuances and understanding what the law is and what the school system is required to do versus what you'd like them to do. Those are often two very different things. And if it is not required by law, they are not going to pay for it because there's no money. They don't pay our teachers enough. So when we ask for, you know, a one-on-one assistance or more occupational therapy or something like that. They don't say no because they're mean. They say no because there's no money to pay for it. They just can't say that out loud. And so again, before it gets ugly, let's have some conversation, then dig a little deeper and try to figure out why. But again, legal incident, like your child was harmed, then again, outside of the IP, I would call a meeting with someone in the administration and say, you're gonna talk to us and our legal aid attorney. What sound, sounds like this family, if they're in North Carolina, should contact the Exceptional Children's. Yes, Assistance Center, yeah. They don't have advocates like to go with you to a meeting, but they've got lots of resources. Like if, if you have the, the ability to take some time and they have some online trainings and things like that, it can be really useful just to understand. The IEP right. is a complicated document, um, but it is a legal document. And so we want to make sure that families know What's going on? And in my my response to this, looking at the age of the child, part of what this family's frustration may be because there hasn't been a formal evaluation since he was three. So at eight now, he has totally different needs. And it yes. might be just that if they're getting frustrated across the board, yeah. that may be where, where they're coming yeah. from. So Right. And the school system will do it. Now they're going to do it on their schedule. Right. The psychologists are pulled between all the different schools, just like most schools don't even have a school nurse, mm-hmm. you know, lots of resources are shared. Yeah. But yes, that's, that's something to definitely be assertive. And, and if the teacher isn't setting it up to call the principal and say, we need to get this done because my, my son's needs aren't being met. And I think it's because it's not documented what his needs are right now. Right. Right. That's something just the, the, just the number of changes and communication, socialism, everything between those two ages. So, okay. So our next question is, are schools required to provide equal access for wheelchair users to get to and from classrooms? And um, the specifics on this one, it's, I believe a teenage child who is having to go through what it, I know the father submitted this question. 
Currently, a student in a wheelchair is required to go down extra hallways, move through a locked classroom. Someone inside the class has to open the door, proceed across a stage, and then enter the classroom. If the student has to leave to use the restroom or anything similar, the route is reversed with the locked classroom. Okay. I know. It, <laughs> it's... So, chances are the law is not being broken because access is being provided. Right. Is it appropriate? Right. Heck no. No. Across a stage? Yeah, that's something with the wheelchair. I'm thinking of all the trip hazards. I don't know I, if you call it a trip hazard. I'm assuming that there are some stairs involved somewhere that this circuitous route is being used. I'm trying not to laugh because I know it's serious for that family that I would start with figuring out is if it's a, if it's a regional program, a special ed classroom, that's not easily wheelchair accessible. That feels like a safety issue if there was a fire in the school right. or some other modern day problem that happens, shootings and all that sort of stuff that our kids are living in a different world that their safety needs to be immediate. Right. You know, you're, you're not, all the other kids are going to run out the room and run down the hallway and get outside of the building. What is she doing? Well, and does anyone even know that she's still on the stage? In well, right, exactly. Is she yeah. alone? She, she, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, if she had one-on-one -on -one adult support with her, again, right. Is it just an older school and there's, there's, it's not breaking the law and there's really nothing else they can do? You have to ask that question. But if she's alone doing that, and I don't get the whole locked classroom thing. Like there's someone on the other side of the door that's opening it for her. Right. There's a class. It sounds like there's a class going on. The door's locked. I know a lot that's, of the schools keep locked classroom doors. So, then, so again, I, what, what kind of message is that sending to all those typical kids in that room? Yes. That the young woman in the wheelchair disrupts class. What a bad message to send to the rest of the school, let alone the inconvenience it is for her. Well, even for her, now the if, whole class knows she had to go to the bathroom. That's what I mean. That's if nothing that's else. That's what I mean. Like, right. And all they're seeing is that she's a girl in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. If this were me, <laughs> this is a battle I'd take on. <laughs> there is no way on this earth that I would let my son be stigmatized, inconvenienced. There's just no way. Um, there, there are in the high schools, it's very different because they want to start treating the students like adults. And I get that, but you, you still know, I, I have a friend that their child is in high school, uses a wheelchair. And, um, she was talking about how the kids go this through special Olympics, the special ed classroom goes bowling. Okay. Like once a week or something. I was like, isn't that cool? And she said, oh, well, we don't go. And I said, oh, does your daughter not like bowling? She said, no, they don't have wheelchair transportation. I said, wait a minute. It's a school sanctioned right. function during the school day with the special Olympics. Yeah, of all people. And they leave her behind. Yes, she goes to the library. Wow. I thought you are a better human being than me because 
that had better not happen when my child starts high school next year. That's all I can say. If you are going to have any kind of class trip, you are going to get a wheelchair, accessible bus, van, I don't care what. There are certain things in 2022 that should not be an issue. Right. And wheelchair accessibility is one of them. All right. So any final advice you want to give our parents before we move on to the speed round? Yeah. So the one of the big things as far as like the lifetime support of someone with IDD or autism is often physical supports in the home, in the workplace, out in the community. And all states have some type of Medicaid services that are funded with Medicaid dollars. They have different names. In North Carolina, we call it the Innovations Waiver, you know, because okay. we want to confuse families a little bit more about this and call it some weird name that makes no sense. But these Medicaid services, when we think of our three-year-old that we can still pick them up and throw them over our shoulder and carry them around and we're okay with changing diapers and all of that, we don't think about these things. But these services are what our adult children need. And especially when we're gone, right? Or we're unable to care for them ourselves. Right. And so just about every state has waiting lists for these services. In North Carolina, depending on the county, it's anywhere from 10 to 14 years wow. that you will wait from when you first joined the waiting list. That's the other thing. They don't even call it a waiting list. They call it the registry of unmet needs, which to oh. me sounds like something out of a Harry Potter book. It does, doesn't but it? <laughs> it if, you, if you call and say like, I'd like to get on the waiting list, they'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have a waiting list. The system is set up to confuse families. And so if people are local in this area, you can call the Ark of the Triangle. If you are in another part of the country or another part of the state, find your local ARC chapter and chances are they may not provide Medicaid services, but they should be able to point you in the right direction of who to call to find out about qualifying for them. And then if necessary, getting on, getting on a waiting list. Right. Okay. Because again, if you have a three-year-old, maybe when they're finishing high school and getting ready to be an adult, they might get these services unless there's some miracle and the state legislatures across the country decide to prioritize our children with disabilities. We know that's not probably gonna happen. So for now, everybody has to get in line and wait their turn. And you might think, oh, I don't need it right now. You know, we're okay. Or you might think we make too much money. It's based on the income of the child, whether they are a minor or over 18, it's their income. I don't know any five-year-olds that have make $50,000 a year. So as long as you manage your child's money right and they don't have like a great big savings account because then they won't qualify. But if an individual has less than $2,000 in their name, under 18, they can qualify for these Medicaid services. Over 18, they qualify for Medicaid health insurance and then therefore automatically qualify for these services. Again, states are set up differently, but the bottom line is if you manage your child's money right now, whether it's using a special needs trust or an ABLE account, or just don't have any money in their name, they can get on these waiting lists and get ready to hopefully get these services someday. Okay. It is, if you do anything, we have webinars all the time about future planning and guardianship and all these things. I always say, if you're gonna do one thing to get started, it's get on this waiting list. It's probably more than a phone call. It should be a phone call. 
But when you call up the first time, there's a good chance that somebody's going to play the shell game and try to confuse you. Oh, you're, you're not going to pop. I actually had a mother tell me she called or her daughter has Down syndrome, moderate intellectual disability, some of the health conditions that go along with some folks that have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. The person literally said she won't qualify, that she wasn't disabled enough. Wow. And that was outright untruth. And so I say to parents, when you call, get the name of the person you talk to, write down the date and the time, jot down some notes of what they said, record the phone call, do whatever you want, it's your phone. And then when they say, no, I can't help you, that's when you politely, assertively, not aggressively say, then I'd like to speak to your supervisor because I'm pretty sure that's not correct. And then of course they're gonna be like, yeah, talk to somebody else, don't talk to me. But then you have to get, I need written proof, a letter that I, my child is now on the waiting list, depending on where they live, the registry of unmet needs. Um, and then you have to keep track of it. I always tell people, when, the day you get on the registry of unmet needs, you set an alarm on your phone for one year to the day and you check back. One, one mother said, I do it every six months. I was like, whatever floats your boat, but you got to do it at least once a year because I've heard families say, that they've called up and been like, oh, we don't see your child on the list. If you have paperwork to back it up, right? then you stay in your spot. And so it's these kinds of supports are, my husband and I have been changing diapers for 18 years. It's a lot of diapers. These services mean that at least after school, when, when we're working, our son is with someone trained on his disabilities, on his seizure disorder, knows how to transfer him out of his wheelchair into his bed and back and forth again, get him off the bus, take care of him when we're not right. there. And it's a little break so that we're not constantly having to take care of him so that we can have jobs. And when our daughter was younger, we could go to a swim meet with her and leave Ethan with trained CPR safe, you know, first aid certified trained staff with the insurance protection, frankly, of the service age, service provider agency. And we could go do things with our daughter that we didn't want to drag our son to. Right. Right. So it, it helps the whole family. It helps the mental well-being and physical well-being of the entire family, not just the person with a disability. Right. And so if you do anything, learn about Medicaid services in your area, get on the waiting list if you're not already on it. If you're on it, check in and make sure you're still there in line where you were supposed to be. So when you call to check in, they'll tell you where where you are on the list oh they won't tell you where you or are just just that you're on the list they will confirm that they have yeah okay your child's name okay oh yeah they're not admitting that <laughs> you're number 4058 right. in 2047 <laughs> is when your numbers should come up like at the back of the deli counter when they used to right. give out those little tickets number 9552 you're up. we laugh but that's what it yeah. sounds like is happening. Yeah. It's just, you're just waiting for your turn. But, yes. um, well, but we good. know you have to laugh at some of these things sometimes. Well, that's, it's good information though, because I think a lot of families, I mean, like you're saying, we don't know what to ask if we don't, if we don't know what to ask. And right. so, you know, you get to maybe 13, 14 and you're thinking, all right, so in four no, years, no. what are we going to do? Right. Where, where's right. Joey going to go to school? Where's Joey going to do for work? You know, yeah. is, 30 years from now, where's Joey going to be? And right. by then now you're, you're starting the wait list at that point, if you didn't know about this when he was younger. So, exactly. um, 
Yeah. And do you know if, um, if a family were to put their child on the wait list when they're three and then they relocate to another state, do they start all over again or is this federal? So they start it's all over state. again. Okay. And we've actually just spoke to a mom at a resource fair this past Saturday that they, their son was in North Carolina, had the Medicaid waiver, had the innovations waiver, and the parents moved to Virginia. He was an adult and he was living with supports and doing okay. Something got messed up that they, that Medicaid thought his address changed to Virginia and he lost his services. Oh, no. And so they moved him to Virginia because then they thought, well, we'll just get the services in Virginia. Right. And then they found out that they weren't. Thankfully, they hightailed it back to North Carolina, got him an apartment. And thankfully, the MCO, the managed care organization that manages the services, said, we'll give him his slot back because it had literally been like a few weeks. Okay. But they just assumed that they could go to Virginia and he'd get the same services. Wow. I tell people, we'll call up and say, I'm thinking of moving to the triangle, right? RTP, all the big tech companies and pharmaceutical companies. We're thinking about moving there. We've heard such great things. Okay. My daughter has Medicaid services here in New Jersey. And I literally will cut them off and say, I don't think you want to move here unless you absolutely have to, because she will lose all of those services with the exception of like SSI, like financial benefits. Those are federal, right? You can switch your SSI, but, and, and chances are if the, if the child's an adult, they might qualify for Medicaid health insurance. Right. But those supports in the home, at work, out in the community. You start that weight all, all over again. All over again. Wow. And see, I thought Medicaid was federal. So there are federal, federal Medicaid dollars. North Carolina is one of the states that a while back, the state of North Carolina, we had a government that said, we don't need your money. We can do just fine without it. Okay. I try not to get political, but right. it's a little political that, you know, and there are just certain folks running the state government that don't want handouts. It's not a handout. Right. My child is never going to be able to take care of himself. How dare you imply that he is in some way a freeloader Right. because he's not, he's just profoundly disabled. Those are two very different things. And People hear the word Medicaid and a lot of people don't want to do it because they think it's a, there's some stigma attached to it. Mm, you got to get over that. Yeah. You know, you can have a professional job. Your child's still going to need supports. You right. can be dirt poor. Your child still needs supports. Yeah. You know, so, so. okay. Well, that, that's, that's really good information and um, may help some families make decisions based on where they are now and where they want to be in five, 10 years, whether they want to make that move sooner rather yep. than later even. All right, so we're gonna move from this to our speed round. And I don't know if you've watched our um, other episodes or not to know what the speed round is, but it's a series of 10 questions. Three are open-ended and seven are either or questions. No stress on this. First thing that comes to mind is all you have to say. And if you get really okay. stumped, you can always pass. So. Okay. All right, so the first three questions. Um, what is your favorite color? Pink. And the last book that you read? It was rereading re Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix with my son for like the 18th time. Ah, so when, when, when I, I, li I like the whole series of that. So. Yes. <laughs> your favorite holiday? Christmas. And either or questions, cake or ice cream? 
Ice cream. Batman or Superman? Superman. Ocean or mountains? Ocean. Winter or summer? Winter. Ooh, you, you surprised me there. You know, normally it's summer and, and ocean go together. So. Mm -hmm. um, watch a movie or read a book? Watch a movie. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. There you go. <laughs> Always Harry Potter. Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. Instagram. You, I think you, you got through the questions faster than anyone else has because <laughs> one of them at least gets someone stumped where they either want both of the answers or neither one of them and they're not sure where to go. So. If our listeners have any questions for you, how can they contact you? So certainly call the office. We have one phone number that reaches our Raleigh and Chapel Hill offices. It's 919-942-5119. And we do our best to actually have staff answer the phone. Um, because I know sometimes it's really hard when you get the automated thing and you don't know who to ask for. Um, we also have a ton of information on our website. Um, resources too, even for people not in the state of North Carolina, I'm very proud of our acronym list. We all know that professionals like to speak in ABC, XYZ, PDQ. Um, it's an ever-growing list of the acronyms from when they're little through adulthood that service providers will use, that the funding sources Medicaid will use, the school system uses. There's a lot of good resources, local resources to connect families. Good. And as well, of course, descriptions of all of our services and a calendar of events we have coming up as well. Okay. And then social media, where, where can they find you there? On all of it. Um, Facebook, just look up the Arc of the Triangle. Um, what we post on Facebook automatically tweets. I do not tweet separately, but if you only use Twitter, it's at Arc of Triangle. Instagram is at Arc Triangle, and it's always ARC. Um, and then even on LinkedIn for more of sort of the business side of things. When we're hiring, if you're looking for a career in this business, social work kind of thing, um, LinkedIn can be useful for that as well. Excellent. And your website is arctriangle.org. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So we'll put all of those resources in the show notes. Maybe if people want to come to Casino Royale. Yes. Yes. I want to, uh, how, how can they get tickets for that? Through the website. Okay. Um, okay. If you scroll down a little bit on the homepage, it's listed as an announcement. If you click on that, it takes you to the details. There's a list of auction items okay. um, and details about the event. And then there's a button where you can buy tickets. Excellent. Okay. So, um, so I think, I think that wraps it all up. And, um, again, listeners, if you're in the area, check out the, at least the auction, if nothing else for, for the fundraiser coming up. And if you're able to go, um, go onto the website and sign up for that. If you have questions for your child, you know, where to call now, you know, where to go to, to get more resources. And I, I hope you found some value with this and trying to, to, to know where you're going next and where you're going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, wherever your child is headed. And um, Jennifer, thank you for coming on with us. I really appreciate the information that you've given us. I, th I think we've got a ton of information that, 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 that we've unpacked during our conversation here. Thank you for having me. And anybody can give us a call. We'll help if we can. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Wow. I love the part about their Wings for Autism event and how they're helping Santa get up close in their holiday photos with the kids. 
be sure to check out the resources page on our website to get connected with your local ARC chapter and share this episode with anyone you know who can benefit from this information. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Any resources mentioned during this episode will be posted in the description. If you're interested in joining us as a guest, contact us through the links in the description below. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. We appreciate your support as we build this resource. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week for a new episode.